I started this series preaching on the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now the first phase of this series, the messages were more on the now of the kingdom. The fact that the kingdom of God is now, the kingdom of God is here. It's more real or just as real now as it will be when it is physically established on the earth. I made a statement when I was preaching this, where is the life of a thing? Is it in the body, the structure, or is it in the spirit? You could have a human body laying in a casket, there's no life there. But where there is spirit, that's where the reality of the thing is. That's where the life of it is. The kingdom of God is here now. It is here in spirit. There's coming a day when God's going to remodel the whole earth. We love these TV programs about home remodeling. And we love to watch the befores and the after. Wait and see the before and the after of what God is going to do on planet earth. Come on, church, are you with me? Yeah, there's going to be a final showdown. The enemy will meet his last day, and God is going to renew heaven and earth and reestablish us where we were meant to be before destiny went wrong. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Bernard. Go on, clap. Show everyone how it's done. Good man. Absolutely. And so the kingdom of God is now, it's here. Yes, it's invisible. Jesus said, you can't say the kingdom is here or there or see it with your visible eye, but it is within you. And the fact that it's invisible doesn't make it less real. I am a spirit, but I am real. God is spirit, and he is real. And the kingdom of God is very much now. It is very much on earth. It is very much inside of us, and it comes with all the power and the authority of heaven. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. That was the first phase of the messages that I preached in this series. The second phase of uh, the messages that I preached in this series, it was about the principles of the kingdom of God. If you're gonna live in a city, if you're gonna live in a state, if you're gonna live in a country, it behooves you to understand the culture of that place, to understand the workings of that place, to understand the laws of that place. If you live in a foreign country contrary to their culture and contrary to their customs and contrary to their laws, you will not see the best side of that nation. You will run afoul. You will run into obstacles. You will go from conflict to conflict to grief. Hello? Anybody ever been at grief? <laughs> you will go from conflict to conflict to grief. And so often the church, all we really tend to understand is we're born again and one day we're going to heaven. I got news for you. Heaven's not your final stomping place. Heaven and earth will become one as it was in the Garden of Eden, just like God walked on the earth with Adam and Eve. Heaven and earth will be reunited, and earth will be remodeled better than it ever was, and we will live in God's purposes and God's destiny for our lives. No more tears, no more headache, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. Come on, somebody give the Lord a yahoo, a shout, an amen. I love it. And so in the second phase of this series, I preached on the principles of the kingdom. How does the kingdom of God work? How am I supposed to uh, line up my thinking with the functionality, the principles of how kingdom life happens? Because the more I align my thinking with the principles of heaven, the more I will flow in divine order and God's blessing will flow in my life. Now turn to somebody and say, he just said a mouthful. I turn to somebody else and say, and it's the truth. Absolutely. The third phase of this series, 
I think we're on something like week 15, but the third phase of this series is about the God of the kingdom, the God of the kingdom, because everything comes back to our perspective of God. If we see God as always being angry with him, it will affect the relationship we have with him. We will always be timid. We will always be hiding. We will always expect judgment and condemnation. And so our image of God or our perspective of God will affect the way we walk with God and how we interact with him. I said it a little bit earlier. I said it last week. Your perspective of God is everything. It is so critical. It is so important. It is so fundamental to the life you're going to live that right from ground zero, Garden of Eden... The devil steps in and he starts messing with Adam and Eve's perspective of God and actually convince them to think of God less than who God was. And the moment we think of God less than who God is, we have already fallen from the image we were created to be in. When we misjudge God, we have misplaced our own personal destiny because we were created to be in his image. And so any slur that we accept on the character of God is actually a shadow over our own future. Thank you. See, you two, I don't know. First it was him with the clap, and now it's you with the preach it. What was in the turkey you ate? Because I'm going to pump it into, (laughs) ask your sister Cassandra, we're going to pump it into everybody. Are, Are you hearing me, church? Religion will often cast a very negative picture of God. My whole quest, my whole purpose for being who I am, that is a person called to lead his church, is to reveal the goodness of who God is. Jesus, at the end of his life, John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father, and he says this, Father, I have revealed you to them. I can't find a greater purpose than revealing God to people, stripping away the barricades of religion and bringing the raw rudiments of who God really is. When you know who he is, when you understand him, when you get him, it's easy to love him. And so often, you know, in the church, we've, we've painted a picture of God that is, well, it's a picture that men have trouble relating to. I'm just as much a man as the next guy. My blood runs red and I, everything that a guy feels and thinks and is concerned about is in me. But I have no problem being emotional about God or being passionate about God or loving God because I understand him. He's not a gooey emotional mess. He's logical. He makes sense. There's divine order to everything about him. And the more I understand the ways of God and I understand the character of God, the more life starts to make sense. How many of you know that life really needs to make sense when you're in the middle of a crisis? When you're in the middle of a crisis, a crisis undealt with becomes a confusion, becomes the confusion you can't get out of. And when you understand who God is, the crisis becomes an opportunity to step on the character of God and jettison out of confusion and into the victory. Can I get agreement here? Come on, this is good stuff. Somebody agree with me and say, thank you, Jesus. So the third phase of this series has been about knowing the God of the kingdom. Your perception of God is everything. And it's what the enemy wants to sabotage. He started ground zero in the garden And he wants to do that with you and me. I preach this stuff because we need to get a lot of stinking thinking out of our head. Got to get a lot of religious thinking out of our head. I've come to the place now when 
I do something wrong, rather than running from God and hiding, I run to him. After a lot of years of living amongst the rest of humanity, you would think that human beings broken and fallen just like us would be the most understanding of a fellow human being who is broken and fallen. What I've come to realize is that when I goof up, I will get more understanding and more love and more compassion from the great I am that I am than I do from fellow broken human beings. Come on. And so having my mind and my heart freed up from all the lies of religion, actually, when I goof up, I find that I run to him first before I run to anybody else. In fact, I'll tell him stuff that I did wrong that I would never tell anyone else. Because I'll pay for it. You'll pay for it. Come on, don't look at me and say, oh, what's he talking about? What's he hiding? Most of us like the rest of us. You don't sound convinced enough, so turn to that person next to you and say it to them. Most of us, come on, turn to somebody. Most of us are like the rest of us. Absolutely. And so I'm still talking about the God of the kingdom. I'm not making God in the image I want him to be. I'm getting rid of the image that the devil wants me to believe. And I'm accepting the image of who God is, the I am that I am. As long as I hold on to a wrong perspective uh, or perception of God, every lie that I've kept in my mind about him, every lie, every thorny branch that I haven't pulled out will become a barricade so that that aspect of God can't manifest in my life. The lies about God that I don't destroy are the lies that will stop him from being who he is in that arena of his character. Hello? That's why this is very important. Very, very important. That's why at the end of Jesus' life, he prays and he says, Father, I have revealed you to them. Yes, he came to save the world. But how much of the world are you going to save if everyone's picture of God is that he's an old crotchety man who has Alzheimer's and wants to get even with everybody? Instead, Jesus became the human face of God and revealed to us how understanding, how loving, how caring, how compassionate, how forgiving. Isn't it amazing that Jesus tells us as human beings to forgive 70 times 7, and we go, whoo, that is impossible. And God never expects something from us that he can't do 10,000 times more. Hello? Absolutely. So here we go. Are you ready to go with me today? My, my sermon title is two parts. It's called The Woman Who Believed, dot, dot, dot. We're going to find out what she believed. But I'm preaching about the woman who believed. In Luke chapter 4, verse 22 to 26, let me put this in a context. Jesus was just led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and he was led to a place. He was fasting the Holy Spirit led him to fast, and now he's in the wilderness, and the devil comes to tempt him. And the devil wants to see if he could take Jesus back to the same ground zero where he took Adam and Eve. He wants to get him off kilter, because Jesus came to be the last Adam. You know why the last Adam? Because we'll never need another Adam. The first Adam sold us down the river. The first Adam was like you and me. He failed. He, he lost 
sight of who God was and therefore he lost his place in destiny. But God came as a man, Jesus Christ, to reinstate us to everything the first Adam robbed us of by his own failures and his innate inabilities. And so Jesus Christ came as the last Adam. And as we believe in him and as we look to him, he starts to renew us. He starts to heal us. He starts to get our brains together. How many of you know we need our brains to be gotten together sometimes? Amen. Absolutely. You know, uh, Sometimes religion can make an omelet of your brain, but God wants to get our minds together and get our thoughts together and get our emotions together. So here's Jesus. He's being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, and on every count, Jesus beats the devil and doesn't succumb to his lies or his perspective of a lesser image of God. And Jesus comes out of the wilderness uh, victoriously, and he comes into his town where his mom and dad raised him. And he goes into the local uh, synagogue. The temple was the main temple in Jerusalem, but around the country there were little temples. They weren't called temples. They were called synagogues where they would teach and gather around the, the law of Moses and learn from the Old Testament. And as was the custom, the priest would hand one of the young men uh, the scroll, whatever the reading was for the day, and it just so happened it was Jesus' turn, and he hands him the scroll of Isaiah. Now, he reads a very specific passage in Isaiah, a passage that prophetically speaks of him and announces his purpose on earth. But I'm going to pass that for a moment, and I want to jump down to verse 22, to, and uh, we're going to read from 22 to 26. Jesus starts to preach in the temple. He reads this passage, and this is what it says. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. How many of you can agree this sounds like a PR success? Right? He's doing good. He's doing good. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, <laughs> here we go. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you have done in Capernaum. And then he goes on. He just opened up a sore point. And he doesn't stop. And in a moment, I'm going to show you why. In verse 24, he says, Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time. The two great prophets from the Old Testament the prophet Elijah with a J, and then the prophet Elisha. Elijah, J, came before Elisha, S. That's how I remember it, okay? I got to use simple things for a simple mind. <laughs> Turn to someone and say, he's right. Most of us are like the rest of us. I get up here and preach, and everyone thinks he's so intelligent. Now, I just have a lot of little helps. Okay, come on, you can laugh a little bit. Don't act like you're really convinced I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> All right, uh, he says, uh, truly I tell you, no prophets accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. Sent. God sent Elijah. But he bypassed all the widows in Israel and he sends him to another woman. Uh, he was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That was a heathen nation. The region of Phoenicia. Um, in between the towns of Tyre and Sidon. 
And this is the people from that area were often referred to as Syrophoenician people. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to doubt me. You're going to question me. You like what I'm saying today, but a day is coming where you're going to have to decide whether or not you really believe in me, and you're going to start pulling all the meat out from between your toes, uh, your toes, <laughs> your teeth. <laughs> Most of us are like the rest of us. <laughs> and... Uh, you're going to start inspecting, you're going to start criticizing, you're going to start saying, you know, this doesn't taste as good as the first time. When we have too much of a good thing, we tend to be a little bit more critical than the first time round. Hello? This is a real key in our walk with Jesus. We got to keep our hearts soft, otherwise we will start to neglect him. Thank you. Praise God. All right. He said, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. There were widows all throughout Israel. God did not send the prophet Elijah to any of the widows in Israel. He sends him to a widow who doesn't even belong to Israel. She's from a heathen nation. Why would God do that? And this is the point Jesus is making but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet. That's with an S. So that's the second guy who came along. There were many lepers in Israel during the prophet Elisha's time. But God didn't send the prophet Elisha to any of the lepers in Israel, but he sent him... Um, uh, to Naaman the Syrian. And not only was, were the Syrians Israel's enemies, they were overpowering Israel at that time in history, and Naaman was the chief general over the armies of Syria, and yet God sent Elisha to heal Naaman the general of the foreign armies. Wow. Why? You know, Jesus' statement here was a PR disaster. After he said this, the next couple of verses says, they took him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off the cliff. The point is this. God is more concerned with the truth than he is with his own PR. Hello? God is more concerned with the truth than he is with his own PR. It's the truth that will set you free, not PR. PR is often exaggeration. Truth will tell you like it is, and truth will let you know what you need to do to get it right. PR will tell you whatever you need to hear so I can advance. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he always told it as it was. He didn't say the things that would get him a bigger crowd. He said the things that would get the crowd in a better position with God. Hello? Yeah, praise God. The point is, God is more concerned with your personal relationship with him than he is with his public image. You are so important to God, he is more concerned with his relationship with you and your relationship with him than he is with all the fanfare. Today, we're going to focus on the widow from Zarephath. And so I asked the question, why did Jesus say this? God saw something more in a woman who wasn't from Israel than he saw in all the women of Israel put together. Remember, Jesus said, God sent Elijah to the widow in Zarephath. Why would God do that? Now, this is an important question to ponder. This is very important. In fact, 
There isn't a person in this room that this question isn't extremely relevant to. And the reason why I say that is this. We think that because we're in the church, we're okay. And sometimes we can take our position and let it cause our heart to become calloused and it affects our relationship. God saw something more in a woman who wasn't from Israel than he saw in all the women of Israel put together. Let's go to the next slide. Watch this. It's not about where you're from. It's about what you believe about God. It's not about where you're from. It's about what you believe about God. You can be fooled. Next slide. You can be fooled to think you're okay because you go to church, but that isn't the issue. The issue is what do you believe about the God of the church? And so sometimes we walk in a false sense of security. Well, I go to church. The issue isn't whether or not you come to church. The issue is what do you believe about God? How do you see him? What is your perspective? How do you judge God? What do you believe about his character? I hear people often saying comments like that, that God doesn't love them and they expect God to not show up in their favor. From your mouth to God's ears. You see, the enemy wants to put those lies inside of us because those lies become the very shield that stops that attribute of God manifesting in our lives. Turn to somebody and say, I need to get this right. Because I want all of who God is in my life. See, this, this is very important. It is very important. And so here's God. He's looking over Israel during a time of famine. And there were many widows in need. This is the house of God. Back then, that was the house of God, the people of God. And he didn't send the prophet to one of those widows. You know why? He heard what they were saying in their heart, and they were judging him incorrectly. But here was a widow who knew little to nothing about the God of the Israelites. She lived on just rumors of him, and she did more with the little knowledge she had of God than the people of God did with all the knowledge they had of God. I said that this point is relevant to every one of you. Why? Because we are in the church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Asking Jesus in your heart makes you a Christian. But why is it it seems that some Christians are heard and others aren't? Because God hears what we're not willing to actually let come out of our mouth. He hears the things we reason in our heart. I can impress people by saying the right stuff from my mouth. The question is, what am I saying quietly in my heart that nobody else will hear? Hello? Yeah, come on. Give the Lord a clap. Did you start the clapping? What was in your turkey? <laughs> All right, guys, are you hearing me? We, the church, can be a parallel of Israel. And they had all of God. And in the middle of a famine, in the middle of a crisis, what they were speaking quietly in their heart about God didn't move God towards them. It moved God away from them. But what this widow was saying in her heart during a crisis, the little, the minuscule that she knew about the God of the Hebrews, she obviously acted more on the little she knew, and she believed a positive thing about God. And God says to the prophet, to the house of Israel, he says, don't go there. There's someone out here who knows next to little about me, and yet they keep judging me as faithful and as good. 
Wow. You see, what we allow our mind to settle with on the topic of who God is will really determine a lot of things about our life and what we'll face and how we'll face it. Everyone will face sunny days and rainy days. The question is, how do you face it? And I want to face the hard times of life triumphantly because I've got a right picture of God. Are you with me? Come on. Come on. Turn to somebody and say, I know where he's going. And I'm going with him. I'm taking hold of this. Lydia, will you please tell your daughter to stop throwing her building blocks across the church? It's not about where you're from. It's about what you believe about God. I already said you can be fooled to think you're okay because you go to church, but that isn't the issue. The issue is what do you believe about the God of the church? Hebrews eleven six, 6, and I, this was part of my message a couple of weeks ago. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. There were widows all throughout Israel during the three and a half years of famine. They were in need. The Bible tells us something about the nature and the character of God. The Bible tells us that if we as human beings know how to do a good thing to somebody we love, why can't we at least reason? Even if we have little to no Bible knowledge, why can't we at least reason that if there is a divine being, he's got to be better than broken humanity? And if he's better than broken humanity, and broken humanity knows how to do good things to the people they love, how much more will the divine being who is not broken do good things to anyone. Yeah. Come on. We get too religious in our thinking. By virtue of sheer logic, the mere fact that there could be a divine being means he has to be elevated above who we are. And you only have to watch TV for... 10 seconds and you know all the whole world is messed up. We're all broken. And if there's a divine being, he must have a better handle on life than me. And so when we judge God in a negative light, it's really a statement about our own heart. We judge God and we judge his character, but it's really a revelation about our character. Wow. This stuff isn't in my notes. Watch this service again sometime during the week. This, these are important truths. Why do I preach like this? Because everything is about the picture, the relationship you have with God. Based on your picture of God, that will severely affect the relationship you have with God. And the more we see God as he is, then the God who is will show up in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want God to show up a lot more in my life. I want God to show up a lot more in this church. I want God to show up a lot more in your lives. You know, we'll, we'll pay, we'll go to a seminar and pay uh, $3,000 to hear the top motivational guru of the world. But they can't connect you to God. These are principles that go straight to the heart of God. And the power of the universe rests in his hand. And when we understand him, we know him. And when we know him, we see him. And when we see him, God shows up in our lives. Yeah, give the Lord a shout. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord some praise. And so without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is a rewarder. Everybody stand. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm gonna get you to repeat something. I often say we remember pictures more than we remember words. So I want you to remember this picture. Look around the room. See all these people? Now everybody's going to repeat after me, parrot fashion, and I want you to build a picture in your mind of how many people are going to say these words. God is a rewarder. God is a 
God is a rewarder. God is a rewarder. Now stop. We're going to alter it a little bit. God is my rewarder. God is my rewarder. Again, God is my rewarder. Do you know that the church has convinced most people that God is their judge and they believe that more than they believe God is their rewarder? God says he gets ticked off. He's actually displeased when we have a wrong mental image of who he is. Do you know that God only sits in his judgment seat for a nanosecond in each person's life at the end of their life? The rest of the time, he sits at the banquet table as a father, as a loving dad who wants to gather us to himself. Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor Rob. Come on. All right, you can take your seats. So here, during a time of crisis, the religious world of Israel didn't understand the heart of God, and there was murmuring, there was complaining, there was Geez, you know, why doesn't God do this? And why hasn't God done that? I could give you a few more examples, but does it sound familiar to anyone you know extremely personally from the inside? He sends Elijah to a woman from not the house of God. Because the little bit she knew about God, she made a better judgment about the character of God than the religious people did in Israel. Wow. Sorry if I just slapped you a little bit. It slaps me. But I'd rather the truth. Because the truth will get me to the right place. Amen? Absolutely. You have to ask yourself, why, why did God do that? This is exactly why God did that. Okay, we're going to, uh, here. So I just finished reading Hebrews 11. God is a rewarder. Go on, say it again. Look at somebody. Come on, turn to somebody and say, God's a rewarder. Not a punisher. God is, turn to somebody else. The other person didn't hear it. <laughs> say, God is a rewarder. Not a punisher. Not a punisher. We really have to alter this concept. If broken people can do good things, why do we judge a divine God who's not broken to do bad things? Doesn't that sound like a gospel that would come from the belly of hell? Doesn't that sound like the stuff demons want to whisper in our ears? Absolutely. Here, this next slide, this is a kicker. I thought this was brilliant when, when it flashed through my head. Where, put the next slide up. Where you put a period in your perception of God is where you already put a period in the manifestation of God in your life. Where you put a period in your, go on, take the picture. Where you put a period in your perception of God, that's exactly where you already put a period in the manifestation of God in your life. Where your perception of God stops short of being good, that's exactly where God will stop showing up being good in your life. Wow. So, we're going to look at this woman from Zarephath real quickly. We're going to go to the actual story. And uh, I'm more than halfway through in my message here. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. There are three things I want you to know, and I have three bullet points. Number one, Ahab was the king of Israel. Now, Israel at this time was a divided nation. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Originally, it was made up of 12 tribes, and they were all one nation. But the United States 
of Israel became the divided states of Israel. And so you had 10 tribes that belonged to the north and two tribes that belonged to the south. And the southern part of the kingdom became known as Judah. Okay? The two tribes of the south was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of the Levites, the priests. The 10 tribes of the northern kingdom, which is now a split kingdom, mostly had wicked kings who kept bringing their people into idolatry, worshiping strange, weird, wacko gods. Most of the kings, not all, but most of the kings of Judah taught the people to serve Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, the God of heaven and earth, the Hebrew God, the Christian God, okay? Not all gods are equal. There is only one God. Everything else is a fabricated lie. So Ahab was the king of Israel or the northern 10 tribes of Israel. He married a woman called Jezebel. She was a Phoenician princess, a Phoenician. Okay, so Israel, the northern part of Israel, bordered Phoenicia, okay, where you had the city of Tyre and the city of Sidon, and Zarephath was between those two cities. And a princess from that region, her daddy was king of that region, and Ahab, for the sake of political gain and political peace, marries a woman. He unites himself to a woman who doesn't have the same perspective of the God of the Hebrew people. Whatever decision you make as a compromise to advance yourself is the very decision that will be your demise. It's not in the notes. Play it back, Pastor Stephen. I don't know if I could even remember it. <laughs> Whatever decision you make as a compromise will be the very decision that will be the result of your demise. Did you hear me? You cannot compromise on the image of God without some devil laughing and kicking you in the butt. That's the truth. It's the absolute truth. And so he marries this woman, Jezebel, who's a Phoenician princess, and she instituted the worship of Baal into the 10 northern tribes of Israel. Jezebel means exalted of Baal. She was a full-on believer in this God of Baal. By the way, let me describe some of the things that they did in the worship of Baal. They believed that Baal was worthy for them to sacrifice their newborn children in the fire. There were many hideous and horrendous things that this deity, so to speak, this manufactured deity, elicited behavior from uh, their priests and their followers. Baal was believed to be the god of the rains and the god of the harvest, and that's why the god of Israel said to the prophet Elijah, go to that fool, King Ahab, who has given up his right as a son of God and has allowed himself to be besotted by a woman who is exalted by a demon. And go to him and the very God they worship instead of me, the God of rain and harvest, I am gonna prove to you, to them, that he is no God and I will shut the very heavens of rain so that the earth will never produce a harvest until I say enough is enough. God went face to face against their deity. I love it. I love it. When you understand everything in the background, it's like, wow, God, you're really super cool. You know? Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him. Um, <clears throat> so Elijah, told the pro uh, Elijah the prophet told the king, Ahab, you're not going to get any rain until God tells me to say so. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, go at once to Zarephath. See, Jesus said that the prophet was sent to this woman outside of Israel. Here, we're reading the story in the Old Testament, 
And it clearly tells us, and God sent him, where am I? The word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. It is a sad day in the church when God finds more faith outside the church than in the church. And that's exactly what was happening here. Jesus used a, a, an analogy. He said, you can't put brand new fermented wine in old wineskins because in the life and the liveliness of fermenting wine, as it expands the spirit of it, it will just shred old wineskins that haven't been treated and softened. You have to take the wineskins and soak them and, and, and massage them and treat them so that they have flexibility. One of the first things that goes in a religious person is flexibility. Religious people are legalistic. They're stuck in the mud. They are hard. They are fast. They have sharp edges. They won't enter heaven, and they stop other people from entering heaven also. Oh, this is a whole heap of good teaching, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And why am I saying this? Because it's so important that you and I don't allow religion to affect our heart. If you just see God as a deity, you won't have relationship and you won't be worshipful. I see God as my dad. He's my creator. He intimately knows me and loves me. And I am confident of his character. And therefore, I have great relationship with him. And listen, the level of your visitations from God will be determined by the perception you have of God. Hello? We can't have a wrong perception of God and God show up and say, well, here I am. He's not going to give credence to that wrong image. Hello? But when we have the right image of God, God will say, I am that I am. That's his name. I am that I am. All right. He says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. She was not a believer, so to speak, from the house of Israel. She heard rumors about the people who were on the southern border. That is the uh, kingdom of Israel. And she heard about their gods. But her princess... Her king's daughter married the king of the southern kingdom, which is the ten tribes of Israel, and the princess brought the god Baal to Israel, and yet this woman had enough sense to believe in the Hebrew god of the Israelites that the Israelites had already become complacent about. Wow. For, let's go to the next slide. For as little as this woman knew about the God of Israel, she built a relationship with him on that, and God built a relationship with her on the everything he knew about her. She knew this much about God and acted on all of it. And sometimes we know this much about God and we act on that much. Do you understand what's happening here? And that's why God's spirit just passed over all the widows in Israel and he went to that woman who knew less but did more. How many of you are feeling challenged to better your image of God? Come on. Come on. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her, and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar? Now, remember, it's a drought. So this isn't a little thing that he's asking for. This is actually a big thing. There's no water. No aquafina. Aquaglada. No plastic bottles, you know. You couldn't go to Walmart. No water. So he's asking her a huge thing. 
And so he goes to Zarephath, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar? Dude, ask me for a little water in a thimble. You're asking for a little water in a jar. I don't have enough to go around for me so that I might have a drink. La-di-da to you, Mr. Prophet. What's her response? As she was going to get it. As she was going to get it. She knew who this was. She knew this was the prophet. He made a lot of trouble for Jezebel. He made a lot of trouble for Ahab. They knew who this dude was. This was the man of God. It's in the middle of a drought. There is no bottled water anywhere. And he doesn't ask for water in a thimble. He says, bring me some water in a jar so I could have a drink. And she went to get it. How many of you could say that says something about her heart? You know what it says? It shows me what she believed about God. Because she responded in such a positive way. Are you ready for it? Are you, are you really ready for what's going to come next? How we respond to the call in this church. How do we respond to serving in this church? How we respond to God's demand on our life is a mirror image of what we really think about God. As she was going to get it, he called. Uh, and by the way, please bring me a piece of bread. The cheek of this guy, the audacity. Uh, excuse me. Do you understand that because of you it hasn't rained for three and a half years and therefore there's been no wheat and therefore there is no flour and therefore we're eating our fingernails? Please bring me a piece of bread. And she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Oh, oh, Hebrews chapter 11. It is impossible to please God without faith, but anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. This woman was not a Hebrew. She was not from the house of faith. And she says, as surely as your God lives, she believed that he exists. Whoa. She did more with her minuscule knowledge of God than the church does with their volumes of commentaries. Whoa. Jake, isn't that good? Yeah. Mike, I know you're quieter, but you're echoing him, aren't you? Absolutely. Wow. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She wasn't complaining. She was explaining. Sometimes we get explaining mixed up with complaining. And we think we're explaining, but really we're complaining. She doesn't flip her lid. Hello? She didn't get mad cow's disease. All right? She didn't flip her lid. She doesn't flip him off. And she doesn't flip him the bird. She simply states her case honestly without an attitude. She didn't go, but, 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 oh, you gotta be kidding me. You're the very guy who closed up the heavens and you don't just want water in a thimble, you want water in a jug and now you want bread too? It's my last piece. I'm gonna eat it with my kids and die. No, she was respectful. She said, as surely as the God you serve lives, 
I'm telling you honestly, these are just the facts. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, woman. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. You see, when you believe the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, then the Lord, you've given opportunity for the Lord, the God of Israel, to say. When you believe the Lord God of Israel lives, you've given the Lord God of Israel the opportunity to speak into your life. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. In other words, during this famine, you won't go without. God will give you a supernatural supply. Where's Juliet? Stand up. She's from Australia. She was... She made a recommitment to the Lord in the church that we pioneered back in Australia in Dubbo. And uh, I was the regional director. I had 12 churches under my supervision. We had pioneered four churches from the ground up. And uh, Juliet was, uh, she made a recommitment to the Lord uh, after, you know, brokenness in her life. She's been living for Jesus since. I put a conference on for the local churches that I was overseeing, we had over 300 delegates at the conference. Uh, they were supposed to RSVP, and uh, a lot more people showed up than what we were prepared for. And so we had, you know, just like whenever you're catering, a heap of volunteers. We had cooks, we had people that were volunteering, and there was, you know, one big line of food, and they were serving the stuff out of the pots and the people were coming down and two or three of the cooks came to me very concerned. Now, if I'm lying at any point, you could throw the yellow flag, okay? And they, they pulled me aside. They said, Pastor, you didn't tell us there was gonna be this many people. We don't have enough food in the pots. They were adamant. They were the cooks. They knew what they prepared. I knew how many people were there. We only found out on the day. And I said this here before I could even think. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit gets you in trouble with your mouth, but it actually gets you out of trouble into God's divine provision. And I said, <laughs> I said to the cooks, I said, tell all the servers to not look in the pots and to keep dipping in and don't look in and just pour the food out. I said, if they gotta keep the lid half on the pot so that they don't see what's in there, tell them to do so. Don't look in the pots and just keep serving. Do you know that we fed all 300 people and had leftovers? Is that the truth? So the prophet says to this woman, listen, God heard what was in your heart before it ever came out of your mouth. Out of your mouth, you're saying, as surely as the God you serve lives, you're acknowledging him, and you're acknowledging he's God and that he lives. But God heard you, that's why I'm here. He heard you in your heart, in the middle of your misery, in the middle of your destitution. Instead of grumbling against God, you had positive things to say about him because you had a positive perception of the God of Israel. Yeah. And so the prophet says, there might be a famine, but until I give word for the famine to break and the drought to break, I am giving you word that the God who closed up the heavens is gonna open up the windows of heaven for you and you will experience the prosperity and the blessing of God. Wow. How many of you want to be in the position that woman was in, hey? Well, here's the kicker. God hears what you say quietly in your heart. We know the right things to say when Christians are around. But when you're in the dark, 
of the room by yourself. God hears your meditation about him. And he hears the things you say in your spirit. And that's what will determine whether God passes over or whether God comes down and meets with you. Turn to somebody and say, he got me. Let's go to the next slide. I said my sermon title was called The Woman Who Believed, but it was dot, dot, dot. She went away and did as Elijah the prophet told her. Why? You don't do it unless you believe. She believed in the God who lives, and therefore she believed and she did. Let's go to the next slide. And in the next slide, I said, this is the woman who believed. That's my sermon title, dot, dot, dot. What did she believe? This is the woman who believed God was bigger than her last meal. Did you hear me? She believed God was bigger than her last meal. She believed she could give that last meal away, and instead of dying, somehow God was going to bring resurrection. Somehow God was going to set the banquet table. Somehow God was going to bring the party to her. We, we, we know that song, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. That's the problem with the church. We're meant to have a party and we're crying because it's not the way we want it. But this woman, instead of crying, she was determined that if she gave up her last meal, God was going to set a spread for a banquet and he was going to throw a party. Can I get an agreement? This is the woman who believed God was bigger than her last meal. This is the woman who believed God was bigger than her circumstances. And that's why this is the woman God heard. Let's go to the next slide. He heard her, therefore he saw her. What you say about God in your heart is what God sees about you. What we say in our heart about God is what God sees about us. Wow. Anybody here ready to do a little bit of repenting? I am. God, forgive me for I have sinned. Help me get my heart right. Help me to have a bigger picture of you. Can I show you something? Malachi chapter 3 verse 16 to 18. This is a key. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Now watch this. The Bible is saying those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared, who honored, who respected, who trusted, who loved, and honored his name. Next verse. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Everything I've just been preaching, God says in two verses right here. God says, I listen. And based on what your heart is saying will determine whether or not I see you or I pass you. Your perception of God is very critical to your position in life. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I'm getting a lot out of this. So the next verse of uh, Kings, the story of Elijah and this woman, it says, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Church, everyone look at me. We are so afraid when it comes to giving. In the new year, I'm going to be launching Vision 2023 and we're going to be talking about breaking the debt off of this church. 
I believe there's a lot more people God wants us to reach. And we cannot seat more people than we can park. Think about it. If we can't park them, they're not coming in. You cannot seat more people than you can park, and you cannot park more people than you can seat. You can park them, they come in if there's no room. They're not staying. We're going to break the debt because we believe that whether we're in the last days or not, it's still God's days. Hello? And we're still in the year of God's favor. If we're here, it is still the year of God's favor. Watch this next slide. She gave up her last meal to serve God and die, and God gave her a future to serve him and live. She gave up her last meal to serve God and died, and God gave her a future to serve him and live. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. Carolina, I don't know anything much about your life, but I'm going to speak to you as from the Lord right now. Because there are things that you have considered, and God says he hears you, and he's even heard your whispers, and he's heard your cries. And God is saying to you that if you trust him and run with him and let go of all the reservations, he is going to bless you. He's going to lift you up. He's going to run with you. He will have his hand on you. God sees you. He loves you. He favors you, and he is going to keep blessing you. He sees your heart. Amen. Does that speak to you? Yes? Does it resonate with you? Okay, praise God. God, God's, he loves you. He's watching you. It's a positive word. Amen. All right. Um, she gave up her last meal to serve God and die. God gave her a future to serve him and live. You, God's not here for your demise. If you're willing to give up your last meal to serve him, God will give you a life so that you can serve him. The question is this, church. The question is this. Do you believe God is bigger than your last meal? Do you believe God is bigger than your crisis? Now watch this. Everybody stay with me because this is really cool as we wrap this up. That after the disciples broke bread with Jesus at the last supper, they followed him to Gethsemane. So they had their last meal with Jesus, the last supper. After they broke bread with him at the last meal, they followed him to the garden of Gethsemane to see him betrayed and eventually crucified. They were shattered, they, they were shattered and therefore they scattered. The problem was, they didn't see Jesus as being bigger than the last meal. They never saw the resurrection. And so, because they had a limited perception, perspective of God, when he was crucified, they lost their faith and lost their way. And if Jesus didn't come back and hold them back in, they would have perished. They never saw Jesus bigger than their last meal. And I want to tell you that unless you see Jesus as bigger than your last meal, unless you see Jesus as bigger than your crisis, as long as if you don't see Jesus bigger than the need in your life, you will be shattered in your hope and in your imagination, and you will be scattered. Wow. Is this good preaching, Elaine? Phil, how am I doing today? I'm doing good, Juan? All right. 